Hey guys, on this episode, we're talking about how to build a strong UX portfolio and resume. This is extremely important. I'm excited about this one. I think today is going to be a changer for you guys for the better. If you guys listen today, you're going to find out a way to be a better candidate on the job search. And also you're going to find a way to be more attractive to clientele. Okay, we're going to talk about must-haves, nice-to-haves, and absolute no-nos. Also, I go on a rant today talking about what's more important, the experience at best practice or the experience that creates fewest gestures. You guys are tuned into the right place. It's true experience, man. Let's go. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the True Experience Podcast. I'm Trey Banks, user experience professional, walking and talking with you through usability, design thinking, inclusive design, culture, and so much more in the tech space. Let's get to it. So we're going to talk the UX portfolio and resume. 2018 is coming to an end. We're getting ready to run into uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, It's an exciting time. We're also rotating now into 2019, which I think is even even more exciting thing, because as the years go on and progress, UX becomes more uh, of a defined profession. And I think that we find companies every year when they rotate those new budgets, more and more companies every year are adopting this role. And it's an exciting thing to put into their product spaces. So because of that, let's talk about what your portfolio should have. Let's talk about some of the things you should avoid. Okay, first things first, it does not matter what platform you use to build it on. Okay, again, it does not matter what platform you use to build it on Squarespace, WordPress. It doesn't matter. Guys, I have heard this time and time again. It's so irritating to me, honestly. Oh, man. I built it on WordPress and it's everything. You got to do it on WordPress. Who cares? I mean, really, does it matter that much? It really doesn't, right? I mean, let's, let's take it for what it's worth. It's about the content and not the platform that the content's built with, built on rather. And you understand that, especially if you are developer centric too, you got to understand that A person who's coming to the site is going to come to your site to see your portfolio, to see your projects, previous work, personal projects, right? That's what they want to see. And this is a definition, not just of experience, but this is a definition of who you are as a problem solver. And hiring managers will look at this information to determine how do you define a problem? What is that problem, right? right. What, were your, um, what were your approaches to solving it? And how do you identify with it, right? So all of your work, is a, every project, all that work, every design is a culmination if it refers back to the problem, that it should tell that story all the way down, right? It should tell you a story from top to bottom, right? Exercise to exercise, process to process. What did you do 
over time to see value. When you you interviewed users, when you ran through discovery research, competitive analysis, what came out of it, right? And as much as you can show, okay, so let's let's also back up a little bit too. There is such thing as the proprietary uh, project, right? You, you, you can't show certain things or you can't show anything um, without a password, right? And of course, there are all those things that you just can't show at all. So you need to just steer away from using it. Even, I don't care how proud you are of it. It's good you steer away from using it. Um, I've heard people say, oh, I can make a, a, a dummy copy of something like... I like to steer away from stuff like that. I know that some people are... Like, hey, you know, who's going to know it's a dummy copy? They can't do anything. All this be true, you know, be as true as it may be. I, I like to steer away from that. And I don't want to discourage you guys, especially if you're making really cool things that you're not allowed to show. I'm sorry. It's time that you probably step out, build some personal projects and use your experience that you have in your current position that you're able to do all this cool work in, you know, and you can actually build some personal projects from it. So be mindful, password protect. If you're allowed to use things that are proprietary, right? Password protect, be very mindful of who gets that password, right? Guard that password like a hawk, change it. uh, If you know, change it as frequently as you can, right? Every time that you're showing it, it should be changed. Okay. Going out the door, somebody saw your portfolio. Are you done looking at this? It needs to be changed. Okay. You need to let them know you don't pass this portfolio on. You don't share this password with anyone else under the window of time that you're showing it. It needs to be very, very, very secure and well kept. Okay. Can't emphasize that enough. Can't emphasize that enough, guys. Okay. You're talking about company data. Okay. Don't screw that up, guys. Okay. It's important that you do not compromise company data company uh, information, company content, okay? Very, very important. All right, now, let's get to the next thing, okay? So we, we, we said, okay, it does not matter which platform you build it on, okay, it could be WordPress, whatever, okay? And make sure this is about the content, okay? Let's talk also about, we talked also about the proprietary uh, projects that you may have, Okay? And then, so make sure you get the permission to use it. If you're allowed to, password protect it. Change the password for different people who are going to be looking at your portfolio. Now, let's go into an even deeper thing, okay? I have something I like to uh, encourage people to do. I encourage people to have no more than 10 projects on your portfolio. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm telling you, some of our, some of our big thought leaders and design aficionados um, they have, you know, dozens of their projects showing. The reason why I encourage you guys to limit how many you show, all right? Any, four to six is that sweet spot. But the reason why I encourage no more than 10 is because when you do update, all right, because designs become outdated, processes and stuff like that don't tend to be, you know, go outdated. But, you know, you want to show more work and you want to show new work. It's important that you can update one at a time and it actually looks like you're updating. You're leaving one and adding another, right? And it it shows that it's reflective. 
And it actually engages a little more to what your portfolio flow is because it actually makes more sense for you to build something that makes a... You can go from telling a micro-focused story in a project to showing a macro story in your entire portfolio. And I know that sounds crazy, but trust me, it makes a difference. I've, I've been there. Okay, it's an, it's an important place when you oversell all these projects you have. I've got dozens of, I got between projects I've worked on uh, with, with, with clients and personal projects. Guys, are you kidding me? I got dozens of, I have dozens, but it's so important that you don't overkill that. All right. And these are my opinion. I think that what happens is you start overselling so many different aspects that you bring to the table that hiring managers can't decipher who you are and it over it's overplaying, you know, and overshooting this too good to be true concept. All right. We're humans. And I think you may believe that, oh, well, the more they know about me, the more they see I can do and how versatile I am, that's better for me. No, it's not. <laughs> Hiring managers, they, they, they run away from a little bit of that because nobody is everything at any time. All right. So what you have your strengths in, you should show those. Where your weaknesses are, you know, don't be weak, but it's, it's going to be weaker than, the, the, than your strengths. Right. And those things, the strengths are the things that should, should, should that should definitely sit on the front. All right. Allow the process, again, to be king in your portfolio. Every time they open up a project, it should show the problem. Right. The title of what it is and the problem that was that was there. Not the problem that you assumed it was, but the identified problem. OK. Then you could talk about assumptions that maybe have altered, right? Whether you were right or wrong, and tell the story. Okay, tell the story. And I, and I don't mean in text, I mean tell the story with visuals. It's important, it makes a difference. It will change the way that a hiring manager will evaluate your work. All right, and when you go from A to Z with your work, it's really important that you have a very clear depiction of what you want to project, right? What you want to present to the hiring manager, because when they start to talk to you about your work, those things should leap off the page just the same way that you're leap there, that same stuff is leaping out of your voice when you're speaking about it. I have literally been in interviews where they said, well, what part did you play? And I would start talking about the things that I did. And then I will start highlighting all these team functions. And they're like, but what did you do? You know, it's a turnoff. They don't want to hear a whole bunch about everybody else's work. And it's great to be a team player. I'm a big team player. But I know what my value is. And I encourage you guys, if you don't, please spend more time focusing on your strengths. Identify what those are and bring those out to the forefront. And work on those weaknesses to come up a little bit. All right. Really important also, guys, give an about page or just an overview, a very high-level overview of who you are. I don't mean like as a designer. Of course, that part should be there, but as a person, right? You're a human being, right? This is 2018 going into 2019. We are, we're hiring less and less robots in corporate, okay? We're hiring more and more humans. And that sounds crazy in the world of AI, but we are. <laughs> what I mean by that is that people 
are the they're they're literally the motor, the heartbeat, the driver of a company. And the people you hire should reflect that. Right? The brand should reflect the people you hire and the people you hire should properly represent the brand. So those things are really important, right? Learn how not to be the jerk. Learn how to work well with others. Learn how to do all those things because those things are going to be shown in who you are. Okay, very, very important. Very important. All right, and maybe it's, it's good to show some of your interests as well, like in images. You know, some of the things you like to do, maybe some pictures of you, you know, jet skiing, you know, windsurfing, whatever. So, so I, I got a picture of me sitting down, um, you know, watching the Vikings uh, playing a game. I'm kidding. No, I don't have that. That was be a r- ridiculous thing uh, to do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, so, yeah, guys, it, it, that's really what the portfolio was for. All right. The portfolio was built to give an identi- identification of who you are as a designer, how you solve problems. Your work should reflect how you solve problems. And. Your overview should reflect who you are. And the combination of that would determine whether or not you're a culture fit for a company or not. And, you know, that that's going to be identified, at least in an early level, when they interview you, that stuff will come out in the interview. Let's talk about the resume. The resume is like the do or die for a lot of people. I've heard uh, one case recently where uh, on LinkedIn, the the designer said, if Elon Musk can build his resume on one page, so can you. You know, what excuse do you have or something of that sort? And I laughed at it when I saw it. I was like, you got to be joking, man. this, this, This is insane. I mean, Elon Musk, for starters, is not showing a resume, even if that is his real resume. He's not showing a resume for looking for a job. Okay, he's not showing it to look for find a job. So we are. So more things need to be shown in our resumes than anything else that Elon Musk would need to show. Elon Musk created X.com, PayPal, uh, Tesla and SpaceX. Okay, whatever job history he had before, then it isn't showing on that resume. So, guys, don't try to put everything on one page. Okay, be clear and concise. Right? Be clear and concise. It's very important that you're telling the real truth about the 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 work that you did in those roles. Right? Showing your experience. All right. Really important. So that's the first thing I want to get out the way. I'm seeing more and more of this design your portfolio on one page, you know, going and going to Photoshop and design it, going to sketch and design it. Look, guys, stop that. Stop that. Stop that. I, I really, really bothers me and it hurts me to see people selling themselves short um, when a hiring manager really wants to know what you've done. All right. So now let's get into what information needs to be seen on a resume. All right. First things first, at the top, put your name, your email address, 
your contact information just in general, your, your current address. You should put um, anything that you want to show uh, from, from a social media handle also. All right. And, and to be honest with you guys, to get dressed, maybe a little over bit overkill. You don't have to put your personal address there if you don't feel comfortable with that. That's fine. All right. So your name and your email address and a couple of social media handles will do just fine. I know some people who feel like it's, they're comfortable with it and some who aren't. So some people pass out their portfolios like business cards. If, I, if you're doing that, I don't encourage you to do that. OK, <laughs> but if you know that you're going to select few people and you know that they're looking at this information uh, in a focused space and they're going to get rid and destroy it uh, afterwards or hold on to it with safekeeping, eh, it's not a big deal. OK, but choose wisely on that. All right. The next thing that you need to be sure that you have there is a picture of you. OK, an image needs to be there. Something clean, and professional. All right. Something very um very minimalist too. It doesn't have to be the size of the whole page. You know, it can be the size of a profile image, right? Uh, and it's really, it's strategic, right? That you're showing who you are before you're showing what you do. All right. I'm just telling you some of the do's. Okay. Another one of the do's, please show the title or the, the I'm sorry, or the name of the company you worked at, the role that you played in that company, and how long you were there. Month and year is good enough. Okay. Month and year is good enough. I, I told somebody, I said, I know the month and year of every other role, except the one I was laid off of. I could tell you the day. <laughs> so month and year is fine, guys. I mean, if you happen to know the day, great. But I mean, like, if you're like, if you're like me, unless you were laid off, you know, you, you know the date if you're laid off. But other than that, you don't know the day. All right. So check it out. Make sure you have month and year, all right? Month and year, from month and year end, right? Like two, from two. And you want to be able to clearly show what you've done. Okay, so first, have an overview, of two or three sentences overview, right? Maybe two sentences. An overview of what you did in that role or what that company does, right? Combinations sometimes help. Because it segues into the bullet points. And the bullet points show what you did in that role that you had. right? And that helps tell that story in that little section, in that container. It it helps tell that whole story a little bit by summarizing and overviewing it and giving detail enough to say what you did there. You do that for every role. right? So again, name of the company, the role you had there, next to that, the start date and the end date. Right. Meaning month and year, unless you know the day, an overview by two or three sentences of what the company does and you in it. And then give the bullet points, four bullet points, five bullet points max. OK. And, and summarize those bullet points to one line. All right. Do that on every role. If you have it in one role, if you have it in 10, do that for every role you were in. And from there. What you want to also do is clearly give indicators of your skill set. Now, we're going to start talking don'ts. I think you guys may know where I'm going with this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Don't put your meter bars there. Please don't. Don't don't put your proficiency bars there. Please, 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 please stay away from that. It makes you look either arrogant 
or like a dummy because they're like, oh, this guy just is not good. He, he knows he's not good, but he shows it. Right? Like stay, stay away from the meter bars or the proficiency bars, whatever they call that crap. Okay? Now, as a, as a designer, we get into doing personas. Now, we make evaluation on the, on, on the user or the user archetype. We can put those proficiency bars there, right? Definitely depending on what the criteria is, we could put those proficiency bars there. But as a self-evaluation, it's just foolish. Okay, so list out the things that you actually work well in. If it's sketch, Axure, okay, show your design stack tools, right? Show your code stack proficiencies, if they're there, okay? And also show some of your project management, you know, if you, if you, if you're, if you get down in JIRA or Basecamp, right? Go to work, go to town. Show them, man. Show them what you're made of. Now, there's, it's a little tricky when you're talking about some of your proficiencies because now you're saying, okay, you can use this. So be very careful on what you're saying you use because sometimes in that case, less is more because unless you know you're very solid and confident and strong in it, those are the things I would put there in the list. All right. Don't don't say, oh, well, I spent a week using da 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 da. Don't do that. So very, very important, guys. Everything I've listed here, very important. It'll make or break uh, your whole resume. OK, education is the final thing. Just give overviews of the education certifications, right? Awards. It's really, it's just, you know, just give the overview, right? College, um, any kind of uh, work that you do in addition, um, back to the community, anything you have, right? Just give that. Certifications, list them, all right? Um, and, and make sure that they're very clear and to the point because you don't want to give a whole lot of information uh, there because a lot of the times those things are not the relevance of your of your resume, the relevance of your resume really is your experience and your skills. Okay, so that's that's the meat and potatoes. All right, but you can't completely ignore um, what you got in your uh, certifications or other things like that. Sometimes education is a make or break for some. Um, that's becoming less and less a thing as years go on. I think it's becoming less and less of a thing. Some companies really still lean on it, and you know they want to make sure that you are uh, educated in this specific thing formally. So, uh, especially as researchers, okay, if you get into government roles and they want to know if you're Section Five A compliant, they want to know if you're certified, and you know, in in um, in, in um, heuristics evaluations, all those things matter, right? So you know, you gotta yeah, you gotta take a check on that stuff. All right, guys. So that's that's really what I have there. It's really not too in depth. I don't want to overkill it in, in, in trying to tell you exactly what it needs to look like. Okay, these are things you just want to make sure you're showing, and it's like the layout and things of that nature. You know, I, I did give some do's and don'ts, but it's about more so what you're showing as far as information goes. And making sure that that's clear in every case that you aren't missing those pieces because those are the most important portions of it. 
You're listening to True Experience with Trey Banks. Stay tuned to hear Trey talk about UX process priorities. Had an email the other day, and I, re- I replied to this email already, but I think it's a really interesting topic. Somebody from Winthrop, Washington, the, the state of Washington, um, they <laughs> ended up asking a question, and that just had me go, I went crazy. I think I wrote like four paragraphs uh, in, a, in a replied email. And uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this, I am, I am sorry uh, for replying in the email when I could have given you this content uh, if I would have known I was doing this. But the question was around, you know, does it mean as a UX designer that we should always be going after ensuring a, an experience that creates the fewest gestures possible for the user? The end user always benefiting from the fewest gestures is one of the biggest loads of baloney I've ever heard. Like seriously, in my career, I've had to create very robust experiences that don't necessarily mean you should be creating something in the fewest clicks. Again, I will stand up to anyone who has a problem with this. Call me, uh, uh, email me, hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. And for you guys that actually have the question about this, please, like we're, we're, we're not limiting this here. Like, please continue on. True.experience77 at gmail.com. It's true.experience77 at gmail.com. Hit me up, ask questions, make statements. I don't care. I just want to hear from you guys. I think it makes all the difference in the world. Okay. Now, the reason I say no to this, no to the fact that it's always about fewest gestures is because you need to first know what problem you're solving. Would that not mean that we are assumptive and biased in what our job is? And isn't our job to not be assumptive and biased? <laughs> I, that's what I thought. I, I, I'm confused that we have this generation of people that think that one tap, one click changes the world. Listen, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a person that believes that you should be creating efficiency out of a person's day with the products that we use, especially for everyday product usage. You should be creating fewest gestures. Yes, in some cases, that's the way it should be. But now I'm not saying take them on the wraparound. <laughs> what I'm saying is some experiences, because they serve purposes that are outside of the window of one click, Now, what we should always be doing is ensuring the greatest experience possible. Our next phase or our next release should always push to let's let's look at the let's look at the flows again. Let's look at the user flow again. All right. We live in Visio and we start talking system. Let's look at the user's flow. And then let's go back to the developers and the engineers. Let's let's then let's go back to them and talk to them about some of the, the kinks we see, right? We start testing a new prototype and we test that new prototype and it bombs and it's based off of some of the system challenges, right? Because it can't do this, 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 and this. Maybe we need to go to the drawing board and figure out why, right? 
So yes, I do believe fewest gestures can help a user, but it doesn't mean that the experience is maximized that way. Now, I've seen some companies go out of business because they've created such a simplistic model, minimalist, just a simple model to say, this is what we can do. This is what this app does. We don't do other stuff. We do this. I think those kind of things also are all, those are also pushed around the business model. And, and, and follow me here. So you can't always, if you, if you have a company that does something in, at, a, at a high uh, level of proficiency, and then you create this path that says, hey, we're creating a simple ex- experience, but you have to be highly proficient to use our tools for a reason of competency. Well, that can be, that can be generated around the business model. Like it, it may not be a thing that you need to be focused on. Right? Now, we should be giving them the right tools so that the jobs that they want to go in there and, or the tasks that they need to go in there and do can be successfully completed. But we need to be sure that this does not need to be a business model um, adjustment. Now, there's a difference between user experience design, living in the world of the flow and the interface, right, and then service design which is generated around customer experiences, right? The CX model. Now, um, I have experience in both. So I, I'd encourage people to understand that the CX model, to me, is king. The CX model ensures the potential for UX to be successful. Now, you, you don't get to the Z before you understand what X and Y, where X and Y sit, right? So... I really do believe that you you have to take a look at the business model itself, right? Through a format of service design or some kind of insurance of service design that allows the user to be encouraged to do X, Y, and Z, right? Because of the value of that product and its potential for the end user. So to answer this question, is it always best? No, it's not. Again, guys, it's not. The term always is an absolute term, right? That word is absolute. Always is always. Very few times in our life when we hear the term always does it really mean that. But in the term of business, or in these terms being utilized in business, it's, it's quantifiable. Always means absolutely every time. And the answer to that is clearly no. We should definitely be aware that we can't, we can't create experiences like that at all times because it would take away from their navigation. It would take away from the gestures that they take on, the tasks that they look to complete. It would take away from the value, right? And then that product dies because you created it to be so simple that the purpose of its uniqueness or its complexity, which was the drawing piece... I'm telling you guys, this is, these, are the, these are the things that make the difference. That's the reason why I say research is over everything else, most important. Discovery and interviews and even when it comes to usability. You need to be sure that those things are happening. You need to ensure a competitive analysis is being done on your product. Even if you're looking at previous models of things and if you're saying, oh, we're not competing against anybody... Um, there's always competition in the air. There would be no need 
for recourse to act on some kind of new product or some kind of new generation to just say, oh, well, there's always there's always a competitive model there. You just got to figure out where the other side looks like. There's always so much value in our our UX approach that we need to be considering some things that otherwise may be ignored. But when we talk about research, we're looking for things around competitive analysis, data analysis, and even purely just where the goal is in user feedback, right? And, and your, your plans are generated around user flows and stories. Guys, it makes all the difference. Red routes as well. I can't, you can't ignore the red routes, right? Because you can prioritize and eliminate uh, any usability obstacles that you can go through in some of your key user journeys and just define what those red routes are. Right. It's also really important to know, you know, when you are in the midst of uh, looking at and, and, and analyzing different things, there's different formats uh, for analysis that you can go through. Right. So your KPI, like your key performance indicator setup, you need to know your A-B test plan. Right. If, you, if that's an approach you're going to take um, and just testing all together. Right. You need to have the lab together um, you need to be able to go through your sessions and know what the session is going to look like from A to Z. These are, these are things that make experiences rich. It's not about fewest gestures. This is about or, or fewest or fewest actions or fewest taps, clicks. Or this isn't about that. This this is about ensuring that the experience is is basically covering all the edges and working its way into the core which is the end user and their tendencies, right? And, and you know, we, we, we get so far down the line and start talking around directional things that we don't necessarily um, need to be invested in, like their requests upon, you know, user interviews or usability that We don't need to go and ask for requests, but we definitely need to be understanding other workarounds that they're taking on that may be challenging that we can look into for later releases, later phases, Right. And, it, you know, a great communication formats, things around IA and language, right? We need to be sure that there's um, clear approaches to how we drive this, right? So understanding our users, uh, understanding the data structure and the channels, uh, organizing the navigation and then ensuring that the content is clear. We have a job, right? Information architecture, we have a job there, Okay. And I know some UXers like get their get their job as you know as an architect, but I think every UXer should have the skill set um, in their uh, in their bag of tricks, if you want to call it that. They should have the skill set. Now we talk language, linguistic clarity, right? Things in context. Be sure that you're not using abbreviations uh, and acronyms that you guys may have adopted in the product team that has that has to be lived with. Uh, you know, by the end user, those are the things like we don't want them to have to adopt lingo, right? Human language is always the answer. It's always the answer. Uh, one of the things that I heard from Stephen Gates, uh, somebody that I, I, I greatly admire, um, he said uh, that he used to work for a company that literally would design in like the Elmer Fudd isms. So when they would speak, it would be in these Elmer Fudd isms, you know, like on a Valentine's Day, uh, you know, a promo or something they're going to put in a banner. It would say, you know, love instead of love. Right. And it, it, it's cute. 
But what happens when you try to translate that in another language? All right, human language, not English, human language. What happens is if you look at it to another, another language translation, if it goes in French, if it goes in Spanish, if it goes wherever, right, it needs to be shored up that it's clear and translatable so that the phrasing and the words can go down in clarity. Those are things people we have like UX writers, content strategists. Those are people that we like to look to for those things. But let me be very clear, the skill set and understanding a strong AP style guide from that will help the company build products consistently. It will help you create experiences consistently. Guys, this does not mean fewest gestures. This means we're ensuring a better experience. And I think these are the these are the groundbreaking changes that will always stand. This is the part of UX that's going nowhere. It's all and I'm seeing that's a good I mean, like it's not going anywhere. I don't mean it like it's not going forward. I mean, like this is concrete. It's here to stay. Right. Because if we get the opportunity to influence anything in the company, it should be generated around the assurance that the things that we're putting up to be created. We want we want to be sure that the things that we're putting up. Has a path to security. These challenges are too great all the time to just believe we can cut down gestures. There are complex challenges. There are real challenges every day that we need to be doing a better job in. Ensuring that our end user, your end user, are taken care of. Best products go forward. Not products with fewest gestures. Not products with all these traded uh, uh, tricks and things that people can just start. Oh, that's really cool. What, let, me, let me see. If you do the let me see products, let me see. Let me see. I want. Those aren't the products that usually live the longest. The products that you hear from and saying, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think you can do it that way. <laughs> or the or the you know what? I think I'm going to try to use this for a little while and see what I get out of it. Those are the ones that you want to hear from. Guys, I know that it's tough to get into this realm where you always believe that we are supposed to live in this space where we can create fewest gestures and, 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 and create a great experience. Minimalist, minimalist, minimalist. We preach it all day, right? And it's great. It's not a bad thing, right? We should be trying to do that. When we can do that, Yes, it can cut costs. Yes, it can it can create. But you but you but you have to be sure by cutting costs, you're not cutting users. You got to be sure by cutting costs, you're not alienating people. You got to make sure that it is accessible. You got to make sure that you have considered all of the approaches that you can. Right. Localization. Don't speak in Elmer Fudd isms. They need to be translatable. If you want to have a marketing, if you want to have a presence where the marketing team can go international, localization is a factor. Look at how McDonald's does it. Look at how McDonald's can take their model and say, hey, this is the model that we should be living by in America. This is the model we live by in Korea. This is the model we live by here and there and everywhere. And we, we, we consider how does that impact them as the end user, as the customer? How do we ensure excellence? Going forward, that's how we consider 
These values going forward, our people need to know, your people need to know that they're being taken care of. Guys, I hope that this episode impacted you in a positive way. I so badly want to hear from you. I'm really eager to hear your comments, your position on these things. Um, please feel free to email me true.experience77 at gmail.com. Again, that's true.experience77 at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at experience.true and also follow me on Instagram at treybank 77 Today is the day that you guys make an adjustment in your careers if you need to. If you're not hearing back from the recruiters and hiring managers, today is the day to make the adjustment. Keep your portfolios up to date as well as your resumes up to date. It's a really important thing, okay? Tell somebody about this podcast, please. Tell them to subscribe. Tell them to go out there and, 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 and reach out to the world as you reach out to the world to let them know that this podcast exists, okay? True experience is for all UX designers trying to build a spot in the mark in the industry today. Please also know this, the reflections of this podcast do not reflect the views of Home Depot. And remember this also, guys, lastly, if you're creating an experience, make sure it's real, make sure it's true. I'm Trey Banks, I'm out, man, peace.